Well, let me uh, invite you to join me in opening your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 17 and 18. While you're turning there, uh, I overlooked one announcement that I meant to mention earlier, and that is the central small group tonight will not meet at the Elliots, but at the Walkers uh, because of illness, right? Going? Okay. So we want to make sure everyone knows about that. Okay, in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're coming to the last uh, two verses of this uh, epistle. And uh, Peter is going to close out this letter with a final volley of exhortations. And basically, he's going to uh, conclude the letter, uh, revealing his heart again to protect the church from error false doctrine, immoral living, and also to encourage them to grow in grace. So he's concerned with all of the errors that are being pumped into the church, the worldly values that we're all subject to, tempted by, and he wants to give a final three-pronged charge to the church. So let me read this for you. 2 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Peter writes, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you will not be carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So if you notice the three final volleys or exhortations involve the word guard, grow, and glorify God. Those are basically the three final exhortations that he gives to to really sum up the letter. So let's begin by looking at the first one in verse 17. Peter says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. So he says, be on the guard. And this, uh, because the Word of God is living and powerful, It applies to us as well as to his audience back uh, in the first century. We all need to be on our guard. The word for guard is a present imperative, meaning it's just not something you do on Sundays. It's seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You're constantly to be on your guard. It's uh, used of a sentinel who's on duty, keeping watch, standing guard, on the alert, guarding the camp, guarding the gate, whatever it may be. It's used to communicate the idea of protecting yourself and protecting others. You must be on guard. There's dangers out there. You must be ready to defend and protect the church. It's used of shepherds keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
protecting them from thieves or protecting them from dangerous animals. And this is not just an application to the elders or the leaders of the church. It's to everyone. Beloved, every member, be on your guard. Again, it's used of soldiers keeping guard over prisoners in a prison. The reason why we need to be on our guard, Peter says, is so that you're not carried away by the error of unprincipled men. And the word unprincipled here actually is a stronger word. It means the idea of those who are lawless, those who are disgraceful. So be on your guard so that you're not carried away by the error of lawless men. Don't let them influence you. Don't let them entice you. Don't be carried away by them. Uh, the word for unprincipled or lawlessness, Peter used earlier in chapter 2 to refer to Sodom and Gomorrah. These were a lawless, evil people. And so now he's applying that to the general description of the false teachers that were plaguing the church. They're to be on guard both against the error of these false teachers, their doctrines that they were bringing into the church, but also their immoral behavior and lifestyle that they were beginning to influence believers within the church to adopt themselves. So he says, be on your guard so that you're not carried away by their error. And that error implies a bit of deception. Uh, a bit of deceit. It's the kind of the idea that would uh, describe maybe a wolf in sheep's clothing because that's what these false teachers were. Don't be deceived by their outward Christian profession of faith. Be on your guard. Don't be carried away by their error, their, their deceitfulness, their deceptions. Don't let them begin to entice you to believe things that will lead you away from the body of Christ, that will separate you from the flock so you're easy prey to the wolves. Don't be carried away. Be on your guard. They are out there. If they're carried away, they're going to fall from their own steadfastness, he says in verse 17. And in the Greek, this is the connection. If you're carried away then you're going to fall from your own steadfastness. So don't be carried away. Be on guard. Because if you are carried away, if you are following after these men in any way, you're going to fall. And you're going to fall from your steadfastness, Peter says. The word steadfastness in the New American Standard implies the idea that you're going to fall from a safe position. You're going to fall from your commitment to Jesus Christ. You're going to fall from that. Paul uses a similar idea when he says that you've been severed from Christ, you have fallen from grace. And Peter's saying, if you're carried away by these errors, then you're going to fall from your own steadfastness, your commitment to follow Christ. In effect, what he's referring to here is apostasy within the church. That people will leave, they will depart from the Christian faith, they will leave Christ because of the nature of what they're believing and the lifestyle that they're embracing. And you're going to end up being judged along with the false teachers. So Peter starts out in these final words to exhort the church, don't let yourself be carried away. Don't be led astray. Don't conform to their immorality. 
Don't join their company. Don't associate with them. Don't tolerate their godless values. Don't let the world take root in your heart. Be careful about what's influencing you. Be careful about what you're reading. Be careful about what you're watching. Be on guard. Because the enemy is always out there to seduce us, to carry us away so we fall away from our commitment to follow Jesus Christ. These errors that these men propagate can be very persuasive. They, can, they, they very much can appeal to our flesh. They can very much convince us, if we're not careful, that their ideas may be right. And so Peter is saying, be on your guard. Test it by the Word of God. Be on your guard. They're out there. They want to lead you astray. They want to do you in. But notice how Peter really begins the verse. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing beforehand, be on your guard. So he's appealing to the fact that they have certain knowledge that should help them and motivate them to be on guard. And probably what he has in mind when he says, knowing this beforehand, he's referring to all the warnings he's already given in Second Peter about the danger of false teachers, the content of their heresies, the destructive effect of, of following after them, and their ultimate condemnation. They also knew the Old Testament Scriptures, which had similar warnings in it. They also knew the holy prophets and apostles of the Lord, which he mentions up in verse 2 of this chapter. You know all of this beforehand. Therefore, believe it and stay vigilant. Stay on guard. Be on your guard at all times. They not only have biblical knowledge, they have the information that Peter has written to them, but they also have practical experiential knowledge Because they've already had to deal with some of these people within the church. That's why Peter is writing this letter to them because they've already had exposure to false teaching in the past. And it didn't end well for the false teachers. They were kicked out of the church. So he's saying, knowing all this beforehand, guard your heart. Now Peter assumes that they have this knowledge. He's referring, referring to them as the beloved You know this. And you know it ahead of time. So be on your guard. Everybody in the church. Not just those who are young in their faith, but everybody. Those who think that they're secure spiritually in Christ. Those who think that they're mature. You need to be on guard as well. Remember the words of Paul to the Corinthian church. When he said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. It's easy for us to think, well, you know, I'm a Calvinist. I'm safe. Everything's great. Nothing's going to get me. Or I've walked with the Lord for 40 years or 50 years and so I'm, I'm safe. No, Peter, Peter says, every one of you, you need to be on guard against doctrinal heresy, against immoral lifestyles, sinful lifestyles coming within the church. And the reason why Peter is stressing this because Peter knows. Peter knows 
what happens when you let down your guard and you're not vigilant about guarding yourself. He knows from sad, practical experience. You remember the Lord on the night before He was crucified, He said to His disciples in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31, He said, You will all fall away from Me because of Me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. Remember, He said, all of you, Jesus told all of His disciples, you will all fall away because of Me. Now, Peter was convinced that he was the exception. After all, he could have argued, but Lord, yeah, these other guys, yeah, they're wimps. But Lord, Simon, I'm Simon, and you remember you gave me a name, Rock. I'm the rock. I'm Peter. Lord, everybody else may fall away from you, but not me because my theology is right and my Christian life is right. I won't be tempted. I won't fall away. I'm Peter. I'm the rock man. Lord, you can count on me. Yeah, you know, it's kind of, it makes me think of when I was back in college, after the Lord saved me when I was a sophomore in college, and I got involved with different Christian groups. And for some reason, I don't know how it came about, but, but we used to always say to one another, oh, you rock. And it was a way to kind of encourage one another and build them up. And we just say, you rock. And, and you know, I think back upon that and I just kind of shudder because we were anything but rocks. We had rocks in our head, but that's about the extent of it. But what Peter is confident about in his maturity, Peter is confident in his spiritual ability to stand against whatever's coming against him. And Christ told them, you all will fall away from me. But Peter wasn't convinced. Peter said to him, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I will never fall away. Totally confident, totally self-deluded that he actually spiritually in maturity lived up to the name that the Lord gave him as Peter, meaning rock. I will never fall away. But pride comes before the fall and Jesus said to him truly I say to you that this very night before rooster crows you will deny me three times Peter the rock sinks like a rock in the water he was confident overly confident he was convinced of his maturity he was convinced that though everybody else would fall not me, Lord. I won't fall. And he fell. And that's why Peter is warning everybody in the church, whether you're an elder or whether you're a deacon or whether you're anybody else in, in the church, be on guard. You're not nearly as spiritual as you think you are. You need to be on guard all the time. Don't be blinded by your own spiritual confidence. 
So ultimately, we know from Scripture that that our spiritual security ultimately doesn't depend upon us anyway. Other passages of Scripture tell us that it's the Lord who guards His sheep. He's the one who ultimately protects us. He's the one who will assure that we don't fall away. Ultimately, it's due to His grace, His love, His power. You remember in that same night before our Lord was arrested and eventually crucified the next morning, this is what He also said to, to Simon, Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And all this is going to be fulfilled in Peter denying the Lord three times. But notice what Jesus says to him in verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. It will stumble. It will falter. But will not fail. Not because you're a rock, Peter, but because of my grace and my prayers which will keep your faith alive. Faith is a gift from God. The initial faith is a gift. The ongoing life of faith is a gift. I am praying for you and I will sustain your faith, Peter. It's my prayers. It's my power. It's ultimately not you. You need to walk with great humility, Peter. So Peter had to learn this lesson the hard way. That though we have the responsibility to guard ourselves, and we must guard ourselves, ultimately only God has the ability to keep us safe. He's the one that has the power to protect and guard us. But the fact that Peter is emphasizing to us that we need to guard ourselves is, a, is an important truth. Because God's sovereignty does not nullify human responsibility. And so even though God is ultimately the one who who guards us, nevertheless, we must take that to heart and guard ourselves. We must be involved in the means of grace to protect ourselves to the best we can, looking to God for the grace and the power to do that. But we are responsible. Those who do eventually fall away, of course, like the false teachers and those who follow them, only reveal that they never were among God's people. They were tares among the wheat. It's like John says of a similar group in his first letter. He says they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out. They left. They fell away. They left Christ so that it would be shown that they all are not of us. They really didn't belong to the Lord. So Peter says his initial exhortation is to guard yourself. Every one of you, every believer, guard your eyes, guard your mind, guard your heart. Be vigilant. Be aware that you're in a dangerous world. You're in a combat zone. And there are enemies that want to take you down. Be on your guard. Walk humbly before God. Because even the greatest in the church can fall miserably if they let down their guard by the grace of God. Alone we stand. So moving on from there, Peter now goes to his second major exhortation. 
in verse 18, and that's to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So he goes from guard now to grow. Several things about uh, verse 18. This is really a marvelous verse in Scripture. In so many ways, verse 18 summarizes and captures in one verse all of the calls to holiness and sanctification that you can find in the New Testament. You can condense it. You can concentrate it all and grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It just captures all that basically is required of of the believer. So Peter says to the church, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Several things about this exhortation to grow. First off, it's fairly obvious, but you have to be alive to grow. And that's one of the things he's. I think we can infer uh, in this exhortation to grow is that you've got to be alive in Christ before you can grow in Christ. If you're not alive, then you cannot grow. So Peter basically is acknowledging that believers have been radically changed by God's grace. We are new creatures in Christ. Paul told us that. We possess spiritual life, which we didn't have before. And, and every believer should be conscious of this change in their heart and life. That we are no longer slaves to sin. We no longer worship and serve at the altar of our own lusts and our own desires. That we live under a different Lord, Jesus Christ. That He's our shepherd and we want to follow Him as His sheep. That should be a conscious reality that every believer should have. Now there's times when we stumble. We're not perfect. We have many infirmities. We have many struggles with the flesh. But our orientation is that we are alive and we're oriented towards the Lord. And again, we'll have ups and downs in that. But that by God's grace, we are alive. We repent when we sin. We desire to please the Lord with our life. And if you don't discern the reality of any of this in your life or in your heart, then you desperately need to draw near to Christ for salvation. So in, in essence, when he, when he says grow, you've got to back up and say, am I alive? Because if you're not alive, you're not going to grow. But are you alive? Do you see evidence of the life of Christ in you? Now, I'm not just talking about the fig leaves of outward moral religion where we know, okay, I've done something bad, I've done something wrong, and I just need to change, I need to change my behavior. I need to start being a better person. It's far more than that. There's a lot of people that will go through these kinds of outward moral reformations and think that, okay, they're on the right path, they have life, but no, no, it's far more than that. It's not just reforming ourselves. It's do you have a living relationship by faith with Jesus Christ? The sign of being alive. Do you see evidence that His Holy Spirit is working in your life. 
Now again, as a child of God, there's going to be ups and downs. There'll be battles. There'll be times of discouragement, times of difficulty. But as you look at your life in general, do you see that you have life from the Lord Jesus Christ? Peter has acknowledged that for his readers back in his first letter to them when he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We've been born again. We have life. We've been born into the family of God. My spiritually dead spirit and soul have been made alive. I've been born again. I have life in Christ. And he acknowledges that that was true for for those that he's writing to. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the Word. He's acknowledging that they have life, that they've been born again, that they've been regenerated, that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same thing that Jesus emphasized to Nicodemus. That you must be born again before you can see and enter the kingdom of God. And by God's grace, these believers have, have had that. Peter also says in his second letter that his readers have become partakers of the divine nature. Not meaning that we become little gods, but we become partakers of God's nature in the sense that we're gradually being molded to be more like Jesus Christ. His Holy Spirit is within us, conforming us more to the character of our Savior. But do you see any of that? Or is it just a bunch of moral formalism? You're here this morning because, well, that's just kind of the thing to do. I'm just here because my parents bring me. I'm just here because I want to be moral. Or do you really have a heart that you love the Lord Jesus, you want to follow Him, you want to serve Him? You must have life before you can grow. This is one of the points that Martin Lloyd-Jones brought out so effectively in his uh, four sermons on these last two verses. Are we aware of having this life? Do we sense its power and its holy movements in our soul? Are we different from the unbelievers that we work with or that we have exposure to in life? Are we fundamentally different than they are? And can we identify God's grace at work in our hearts? And if we can't, then we need to draw near to the Lord. Because if there is life, then there can be growth. And that's what Peter is emphasizing in verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Well, what does it mean to grow? If you're alive in Christ, Peter says grow. He commands. It's it's another present imperative. Ongoing, commit yourself to it every day. Grow. There are several things we can say about this growth. Number one, it just basically means to get bigger in size, quality, to increase. But that growth is expected. It's normal in physical things and also spiritual things. You go out and you take an acorn, you plant it in the ground, it takes root, it sends up a shoot, it grows up into a small tree and eventually becomes a mighty oak. 
It grows from something small to something bigger. A grain of wheat starts small in the ground. It dies, but it comes alive and it becomes a, a stalk and then it bears fruit. And a baby does the same thing. Babies gradually, by the grace of God, grow into adulthood. So it is with our spiritual life, Peter is emphasizing. We start out as a babe in Christ. We're born again. But then we should expect that there will be spiritual growth. Gradual spiritual growth. And this is another important observation about growing and the exhortation to grow is is that it's ongoing. You never arrive. And that the growth that Peter's talking about is something that is gradual and progressive. There's not some sudden transformation from being a babe that, you know, within a snap of your fingers, it's a full-grown adult. It doesn't happen that way. It's slow, gradual progress. The reason why I think that's important to observe is that within the church, there are a lot of movements that would say that you can be catapulted from a state of carnality into a state of spirituality just like instantaneously. One of it's called the higher life movement, view of sanctification, that you can seek after an experience or if you get your Bible verses in the right order and you, the, the Bible says if we ask anything according to God's will, then God will grant it and it's God's will for us to be filled with the Spirit. So Lord, I'm asking You to be filled me with Your Spirit. That's what You desire. So boom, I'm filled with Your Spirit. And I can just walk continually in that, uh, in that spiritual life. You can be catapulted instantly into a state of almost perfectionism. It's kind of like uh, the cake box that says, just add water. All you got to do is just add water and boom, you got everything you need. So just add the Holy Spirit. The water of the Holy Spirit, boom, you got it. You're there. You've arrived. The other aspect of that is uh, another form of that is the Pentecostal or the charismatic uh, view of sanctification that puts a lot of emphasis on the baptism of the Spirit. Okay, you're struggling in your Christian life. You've got all these you know, issues. You're, you're fighting the fight and it's a, it's, a, it's a battle. You just need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you need to speak in tongues. And if you get that gift then suddenly you have Holy Spirit rocket thrusters on your spiritual feet and you're like Iron Man with those palladium core arc reactors or that one that's in his chest. You've got the Holy Spirit. You're speaking in tongues. You've got this power source and man, you can fly. You know, you're Iron Man. And so much of this is kind of the impression that you get that once you get the gift of tongues, then suddenly you've been elevated above all those Christians who don't have that gift. And people look for these experiences because they grow tired and weary of the slow, gradual process of normal spiritual growth. Now we can all make strides at times and we can all have little jumps ahead, but we're always to be growing. Spiritual growth, like Peter is emphasizing here, it's an ongoing pursuit that you and I must have in our hearts. 
The Apostle Paul says, not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so I may lay hold of that for which I've also been laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. That's the Christian life. We all have our ups and downs. We all have our struggles. But we never arrive in this life. We never attain perfectionism. We never obtain sinlessness. You need to grow. And you need to grow today. And every day you need to think of the, of the exhortation of Peter that my duty today is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the, my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. About a year ago, I was at, a, at an event and a lady came up to me afterwards and she said, I have not sinned in 40 years. <laughs> Lady, the very words that came out of your mouth were sin. Now, to be honest, I did not say that. I thought it, but I did not say it. But she had not sinned in 40 years. And I think she was from a church of God background, kind of a Wesleyan holiness uh, background. But the only way you can believe that's true of yourself is you have to redefine what sin is. But normal growth is gradual. The spiritual realm is like the physical realm. You give birth to a baby. And that baby grows up into a small child. And that child grows up into a teenager. And that teenager grows up into an adult. But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes years. That's the way spiritual growth is. It takes years. And sometimes we feel like I'm an adult, but you know, I'm acting like a child. I'm, re I'm reverting backwards. But it's a process. It's a gradual process of sanctification. So Peter is emphasizing grow. Guard yourself because of the enemies out there, but grow. Now what are we supposed to grow in? Well, he has two things particularly in mind. You're to grow in the grace, number one, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we're to grow in grace. Now grace, the word grace carries with it the, the notion of unearned, undeserved favor of God. And it usually always that's kind of always somewhere in the in the in the package of what the word grace uh, refers to. Grace is a gift of God, of course. Uh, we don't earn it in one hand. We don't deserve it. But God's grace is the very lifeblood of the Christian life. We live by grace. We serve by grace. We are conformed to the image of Christ by grace. We live by grace. It's God's gift. And it has granted to us everything we need to live for Christ. Without grace, we're still in the grave. So grace is God's gift. It's something that God gives sovereignly to His people. And yet, at the same time, Peter says, commit yourself to grow in grace. In other words, there is an aspect of human responsibility when it comes to growing in grace. We can grow in grace. 
So the word grace not only refers to that unearned, unmerited favor of God, but also what that grace produces within our life. To grow in grace can also be understood to mean grow in godly Christian conduct and character. To grow to be more like Christ. Grow in grace. Be like Christ. It can, it can involve growing a gracious spirit. A gracious spirit with people. A loving spirit. Grow in, in the ability to endure harsh treatment with patience. Controlling your tongue. Not, not being given in to outbursts of anger. Let your speech, Paul tells us, to be laced and seasoned with grace as you season food with salt. Let your words be seasoned with grace, with that gracious spirit. To grow in grace means to grow in the power of the Spirit. The sanctifying influences of the Spirit. More of the, of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Being able to say no to sin. Growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Growing grace. It really kind of is an umbrella word that encompasses all of that. And even though grace is a gift from God, grace is something that we are commanded in Scripture to pursue after. We must and we can, by grace, grow in grace. We are not to be passive. So what Peter is exhorting you and me this morning to do is to grow in grace because you've already been born again in grace. You live in, a, in, a, in an atmosphere of grace, but grow in it. Grow in godliness. Grow in Christ-likeness. Grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Grow. I command you, Peter says, grow. Pursue it. Grace is not just a one-time gift. It's something that grows in us. It perseveres in us. It's a gift that cannot be extinguished. It cannot be uprooted and taken away. But nevertheless, we must grow in it. We are obligated. We are responsible to grow. And you should expect that you will grow. That's what spiritual life does. Just like physical life, it grows. So grow in grace. Let your life be adorned with grace and mercy and love and all the practical aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Grow in grace. And then he adds to that, and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word for knowledge that Peter uses here is a word that emphasizes a comprehensive and intellectual grasp of the truths about Christ. To grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ means to grow in your understanding of who Christ is and what He did for us. To know and understand Christ better, to grow in our knowledge of Christ, you really need to grow in your knowledge of all of Scripture. You need to understand more the character of God, the character of man, the character of sin, the atoning death and resurrection of Christ, His present reign in heaven, 
His ultimate return again. The end times, the consummation of all things. God's eternal plan of redemption. All of that's involved in growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Don't just think that you are to get saved and think you have all the knowledge you need. Peter says, grow in it. Deepen yourself in understanding the atonement of Christ, the deity of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the moral exhortations that come from the Lord Jesus. Grow in that. Study it. Become a student of it. Peter has already emphasized the importance of knowledge all the way back in chapter 1, verse 5. When he says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence. Don't be slack in this. With diligence we need to grow. But applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. Knowledge. Understanding with your mind the Gospel of Jesus Christ and the great truths of Scripture. Now notice this knowledge is not separated out by itself. It's connected with grace. So we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That Christ is my Savior and He's my Lord. And I need to to grow in my understanding of Christ not only saving me, but also being my King, my Master, my Lord. And my life needs to grow in reflecting that every day I get up thinking, Lord, I want to serve You today. Lord, You are my King. Lord, You are my Master. Don't let me just live my life for myself today. Let me live it for You today. We need to grow in this. But because knowledge is connected with grace in this verse, it warns us that we're not after just a mere head knowledge or intellectual knowledge in and of itself. Because actually, what Peter has in mind is that this grace and this knowledge should be joined and and wed together. It's not just the intellectual understanding. It's the practical outworking of the grace of God. It's grace and knowledge. Not just one or the other, but it's both combined. Remember what Paul said to the Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians 13, he said, If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries, and I have all knowledge, Paul says, I have all knowledge. I understand it all. He says, If I have all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as even to remove mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. And I think Peter would fully agree. Yeah, knowledge, intellectual understanding of the great truths of Scripture is vital. Most Christians are deficient. They don't study. They don't read books to encourage their understanding of these truths to be a blessing to them practically and spiritually. Most Christians are deficient because they don't don't read anything. They hardly read their Bible But then they don't read anything else to help them grow in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But Peter is saying it's not just intellectual knowledge, it's the grace as well. So beware of just pursuing head knowledge. 
Does your life show the reality of what you're learning in your head? Do you see it in your life? This was really the passion and desire of Paul's heart. Remember in Philippians 3, he said that the goal of his life was to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering being conformed to His death. That is far more beloved than just intellectual knowledge of Christ. He says, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I want to know Him. Not just understand Him, but I want to know Him so my life reflects that sweet aroma of Jesus Christ. And why is it important that Peter exhorts us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Well, I close by pointing out a few applications just for the importance of why you and I Regardless of where we are in our walk with the Lord, we need to be growing. There's more ground to gain in our spiritual life with the Lord. But it's important that we grow in grace and the knowledge of Christ because number one, it will deepen our usefulness and our fruitfulness in the body of Christ. If we are growing in our relationship with Christ, if we're growing in grace and knowledge, it will deepen and increase our usefulness and fruitfulness. Peter has already told them this all the way back in chapter 1, verse 8, where he's mentioned all these godly virtues we should pursue after, including knowledge. And in verse 8, he says, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, in other words, if you're growing in them, then they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians are fruitless and useless because they're not growing. They're stagnant. They're in a standstill mode. And what Peter says, start to grow. And as you grow and increase in God's grace and the knowledge of Christ, then you'll be more useful to the Master and you'll be more fruitful in your Christian life. So we all are exhorted to grow, to deepen our ministry for the Lord. Secondly, it will also deepen our love for one another. If we are growing in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then we'll grow in our love for one another. Love, you remember, was a a key emphasis in Peter's first letter to these same churches. In chapter 1 of 1 Peter, he reminded them that they purified their souls for a sincere love of the brethren. And he says to them, fervently love one another from the heart. In chapter 4, verse 8, he says, above all, above all the other virtues, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. If you're growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, You'll love other people. You'll be more able to forgive them when you think they have offended you. If you're not growing, then the seed of bitterness comes in. The seed of resentment comes in. 
Because you're not growing. If you're growing, then your love is going to be growing as we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord. And even in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter also brought in the importance of these godly virtues. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. And that's the zenith. That's the high point in this list of godly virtues, love. So if we're growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will certainly be growing in our love for one another. Thirdly, for growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord will deepen our own assurance of God's love for us. A lot of believers struggle with their assurance of salvation. And partly because they're not growing. If they're growing in the things of the Lord, then they will grow in the assurance of God's love for them. That they are redeemed, that they belong to Christ. If you're growing in grace, if you're growing in the knowledge of the Lord, you will grow in your understanding of your own assurance. And you may get to the point, hopefully, Lord willing, we all will, like what Paul said in Romans 8. He says, For I am convinced, no doubt whatsoever in his mind, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if you're convinced of that this morning. But you can be by God's grace as we grow in His grace and grow in the knowledge of the Lord. We should have that bomb-proof, bullet-proof sense of assurance. Because I belong to Christ and Christ belongs to me. I think it was uh, Spurgeon that said he was so assured of his uh, salvation that he could grab a corn stalk and swing out over the fires of hell singing all the while, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And by the way, a corn stalk doesn't last very long when fire's hitting it. But he was that confident. And would that all of God's people would, would be this convinced that nothing will separate them from the love of God. If you don't have that, you need to grow more. You need to grow in grace. You need to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, If we are growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus, we will deepen our love for the Lord Jesus. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we grow in our assurance of God's love for us, that we cannot be separated from His love, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, that one day He will receive us to His heavenly home and will receive our inheritance in heaven. We can't help but love the Lord more. And that will show itself in our life as well. And Peter even emphasized this back in chapter 1 again when he says, you know, you haven't seen the Lord, but you love Him. And the fact that he could say that is because these believers were growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. Because then our love for Christ will grow as we see all that He's done to save us from our sins. 
So Peter is exhorting each one of us in this room this morning to guard our souls from sin, from error that's around us, that would seek to come in and undermine the purity and the and and the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ within the church. We need to be on guard personally and individually just because the world is continually trying to siphon us away and lure us into its lifestyle. We need to be on guard constantly. We also need to be growing in grace, growing in love, growing in the fruit of the Spirit, growing in a gracious spirit, and grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you have life this morning, life in Christ, then you will naturally grow unless you're doing things that are inhibiting that growth, unless you're allowing sin to come in and stymie that growth, in which case we need to confess it to the Lord and to seek more grace from Him. Regardless of where we are spiritually, every single one of us needs to grow. And Peter is commanding us. It's not just an option. He commands, grow. Grow in grace. Grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because that will make you both useful and fruitful for the Master. And may God help us to do that. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, <clears throat> we thank You, Lord, for the Spirit of God leading Peter to write these final words which challenge us and exhort us to what's most important in the Christian life. To guard our hearts from sin and to pursue becoming more like Jesus Christ each and every day. Lord, give us the grace that we need to make progress in our spiritual growth. And Lord, if we don't see the progress, Lord, help us to by Your grace and Your Spirit to restructure our lives, to start new disciplines, new habits that will encourage this growing in grace and knowledge. So Lord, we are weak. We're Your children. We have Your Spirit. But oftentimes, Lord, uh, we don't make the progress we should. So help us, Lord, by Your grace, help us to grow in grace. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me. We will turn to 332. Come Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove. 332 in your red hymnal. Come Holy Spirit, Heavenly Dove. With all your quickening powers. Kindle a flame of sacred love in these cold hearts of ours. In vain we tune our formal songs, in vain we strive to rise. Hosanna's languish on our tongues. 
and our devotion dies. And shall we then forever live at this poor dying rate? Our love so faint, so cold to you, and yours to us so great. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all your quickening powers, come shed abroad a Savior's love, and that shall kindle ours. And now may our God of grace help each and every one of us to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord that we might abound in usefulness and fruitfulness for His glory. God bless you. Amen. Amen.